This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. And welcome to Late Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, May 5th, year of our Lord, 2022. Dare we do it? A show void of tampering talk. A tamper-free show, if you will. It has been done before. We're going to aim to do it tonight. We're jam-packed high atop a saturated downtown Nashville, Tennessee. Let me look you in the eyes and just fill you in on the hard truth. Nick Saban did this. Not the rain, necessarily, but, boy, a lot of somber moods around this sport right now. A lot of chaos and turmoil and gnashing of teeth. And Nick Saban did all of it. I don't know if it's his fault, but I'm telling you it's because of him. We will discuss momentarily. Also, culture versus boosters. It's kind of an age-old debate, and someone asked about it, and so we're going to fit that into the show somewhere tonight. Clemson Mood Tracker. Yeah, the Mood Tracker's back. Just because spring ball is in the rearview mirror does not mean that we have finished talking about your moods. That's what the Mood Tracker is. We take the thermometer, and we stick it safely into the fan base and pull it out. And what does it say? We'll tell you what it says about Clemson tonight. Bold predictions are back. This has become our most popular segment. I asked the question, what, Jesse, like three or four weeks ago, and we still have not really emptied the barrel of all the bold predictions you have that you claim you would bet your own hard-earned money on. Gaithersburg, Maryland tuned in tonight. They're watching us in Perrysburg, Ohio. Good people in Perrysburg. Laramie, Wyoming tuned in. And Guelph. I checked the pronunciation. That's in Ontario, Canada. Thank you so much for being tuned in. Let's dive right in because we did a, an absurd an hour and 15 minute show the other day. So let's try and get it in under 75 minutes tonight. How could Nick Saban do this to you? How could he do this to us? How could he leave college football in such a state of disrepair? College football's got a lot of issues right now. Now we're not going to talk about him by name only because I promised you guys earlier today we're not talking about those things that are dominating the headlines everywhere else by name. Why? Because deep down, I get the sense you're tired of it and you don't want me talking about it. It's your show, it's not my show. So we hit the redirect button and I come in today and Jesse had texted me, I was in traffic and he said, boy, do I have a stat for you. And normally when Jesse promises something, he under, he under delivers. It's when he doesn't say anything that I get pleasantly surprised. Well, today he kind of hit it out of the park. I gotta be honest with you. So stats and info, elsewhere referred to as Jesse, hits me with this stat today. He looks over in the SEC West. I tweeted it out. Here's the screenshot. Since 2007, there have been more head coaches in the SEC West than there have been Alabama losses. Mind-blown emoji. I should have stopped and let it sizzle for a second, but you know, if you just want to stare at it in disbelief, it's on my Twitter account, at LateKickJosh. Nick Saban came in here in 2007, and he set a new standard in college football, some people tried to match it. Infinitely more people just decided they were going to scream and wail and try and change everything about the sport to slow him down. And now you've had college football expansion once and maybe again. You've had NIL open up. You've had offenses open up. You've had the transfer portal open up. You've got a lot of stuff that is not, in, it's not directly tied to Nick Saban, but I would make the solid argument that if that man, Nicholas Lou Saban, had not come to Tuscaloosa by way of Miami, Florida, which we're about to get into in a second, I would guarantee you half to over half of the problems, as many of us call them in today's sport, would not be at least at the forefront of all the conversation. So I am thinking about this since producer Jesse pushed, pushed that mind-blowing stat in front of my face, and I, I wanted to know how much of this is really on Nick Saban? How much of what's happening around us was just reactionary and then ripple effect off the reactionary to Nick Saban coming to Alabama? Butterfly Effect, it's a good movie starring Ashton Kutcher, who we also bumped into at the Iowa-Iowa State game. Six degrees there. But Butterfly Effect is also part of chaos theory. So let me read you something. Very clearly, I don't have this memorized. Butterfly Effect. Most of you know, but we got a sharp audience. For the few of you who are new amongst us, former casuals, soon to be the enlightened, let me tell you about Butterfly Effect. 
Sensitive dependence on initial conditions in which a small change in one state of a deterministic nonlinear system can result in large differences in a latter state. Translation. Miami Dolphins doctors don't clear Drew Brees. Saban doesn't get his way in Miami. He's saddled with Dante Culpepper and whomst amongst us hasn't been there an unhappy a time or two in our lives. And he jets, quite literally, on the private one with that script A on the tail and he bolts for Tuscaloosa and he comes to Alabama. Now, I just ask you this. It's unknowable, therefore it's infinitely fun to talk about what happens if I don't change anything else about the past other than the Miami doctors clear Drew Brees, Saban gets Drew Brees, he gets his quarterback at Miami and goes on to do whatever he does there. Well, certainly he's not coming to Alabama because at the very least, he would have been happy one more year and that's when Alabama had their opening. So that's not the way it happened. We all know that. He comes to Alabama. Now, a lot of you remember, but as I said the other day on the Late Kick Extra podcast, which I thought was one of our better episodes, to be real with you, and a lot of you agreed, some of you didn't, that's fine. I said the other day, we've got a really big high school and college audience. It's our biggest chunk demographic. Uh, The 18 to 34 is really big for us, but that 18 to 24 is really big for us. And that's great. And if you don't believe me, ask advertisers. A lot of you don't remember 2007. Sometimes I forget this, but you, you don't really have a vivid recollection. It wasn't like you were tuned in, like you were worried about what breakfast cereal you were gonna get in 2007. You weren't really worried about the, the, um, you know, the, the state of college football. Well, when Nick Saban came in, let me remind you what happened. A lot of people freaked out. They, they lost their mind because they were scared of Urban Meyer at Florida. That's what they were terrified of. And then Saban comes in, and in his second year, they go toe-to-toe in Atlanta with Urban and Tebow, and they lost. But then the year after that, Saban and Bama beat Tebow again and Meyer again. And then the Florida program just goes up in smoke. And Saban and Alabama are off to the races, and you see what's, what's happened. They haven't slowed down. So a lot of people freaked out. And instead of adopting the mentality of, ooh, this guy's, this guy's really brought a different standard to the game, looks like we're going to have to really roll our sleeves up and match it. You had a lot of people saying, what can we do to stop him? Pathetic, beta, but that's what a lot of people did. Here's what it's the equivalent of. So imagine you're in sales. I know we got a lot of salesmen and women in our audience because I get the metaphors from you guys all the time. And uh, one of you didn't necessarily give me this one, but I made it up with you in mind. So you're sitting there and your sales team is rolling, but then a new guy, a Danny Cordray, for those of you familiar with the office, he rolls into town and he just starts lighting it up and he's number one on the leaderboard in the office every day. Now you could look at it and you could say, boy, we got our work cut out for us. Or you could move his desk, try and throw him off. But the problem is he just, put him more in isolation, therefore he focuses more on his work, and he's surging even further ahead of you guys. So then what do you do? Naturally, you slice his tires. But the problem is, he just calls Uber, and then in the process of being taken to the rental car company, he also converts the Uber driver into a new client, therefore he made a sale, even in the darkest of times. So then what do you do? Well, you absolutely have to go with the next logical step, which is you just shift the offense currency to the Japanese yen. He learns Japanese. He has a whole new market in the Pacific Ocean that you don't have access to. And so you keep making these moves and the guy keeps one-upping you. And so eventually, one day you just see him trip and fall in the office. You and I are watching this and we see him trip and fall. And previously, this guy was like a, a, a mythical creature to us. He's like a dragon. We can't slay him. But then you look at his knee and what is that? That's blood. Just like every other human, he bleeds, he's human, he's mortal. And then if you and I were merely observing, if we were just voyeurs in this whole equation, we would say, hold up, this guy is not a superhero. He's just like you and me. The only difference is he's performing at a higher level. Why don't you guys just outwork him? Why don't you just raise your collective game? That's what I would say if I were observing. And that's what, if I were not a college football fan, I would say about this sport right now. I would look and I would see how many tumblers have been put in motion, really, if you trace it back, because of people freaking out about one man, one guy, maybe the greatest of all time, one guy. And I would say, instead of throwing your sport into a wood chipper, because you guys had a pretty good thing going, why don't you just up your game and beat him? And it has happened, by the way. Dabo's done it twice. Gus Malzahn got it done several times. It's not like they're immortal. It just takes 
doing a really, really good job and sustaining a high level of performance. But I want you to think about this sport for just a second, because you may be thinking to yourself, how do you tie all this in? Well, not directly, but think about the college football playoff. Before Saban got to Alabama, and even when they won their first title in 09, that was the 10th different championship team in a 12-year span. All that competitive balance you guys want. We had it in college football. Had Saban not come to Alabama, it very well may have continued on that track. But when Saban came to Alabama, that first one he won in 09 was followed by another one in 11, and another one in 12, and especially the one in 11 precipitated the playoff more so than anything, because it was SEC versus SEC. If Saban doesn't come to Alabama, do we get that headline that morning? College football playoff is coming. Maybe, maybe not, but I can tell you this, even if we did get the college football playoff, because you could argue with me, we were already on the way to that. Okay, devil's advocate here, I'll grant you that, we certainly would not have moved into the expansion talk so fast because there would have been no program out there as dominant as Alabama. The entire call and cry for expansion was because of what they were doing. They were there every year, which a blind man could have seen coming, but they were there every year with the transfer portal. It's not that old, but remember when the transfer portal was first instituted, a lot of people don't want to own these statements now, but a lot of folks out there who had six-foot vision instead of six-year vision on this stuff, they said, well, Nick Saban's dominated because he's always had superior depth. And he's had that because they always recruit a top two or top three class, most years number one, and they just keep stacking them and stacking them and stacking them. And kids that would start at other programs are running with the twos and threes there. So when the transfer portal gets instituted, people say, this is going to knock Bama down to size because no longer are they going to be able to hoard all those four and five star kids on the twos and threes on the depth chart. Well, that's true. That was true. They've lost some guys. Here's the problem. There was a downside you didn't think of. No, they're not hoarding their twos and threes. Their twos and threes weren't as safe as they used to be. Your ones weren't as safe either, were they? Where's Jameer Gibbs playing his college football next year? Where's Eli Ricks? Where's Jermaine Burton? Where are they playing their college football next year? In fact, every addition that Bama has made in the transfer portal, has it really led the locals in Tuscaloosa to miss anyone who's left the program? As he said, he being Nick Saban here, as he said at the outset, we're probably going to lose some good players. We're going to take some great players. And they have. Boom. Move on. The uh, entire offensive evolution in this sport. If you really think back to 2013, 2014, people thought they had the book on Bama. I mean, people, smart people can say stupid things sometimes. Stupid people don't really say smart things. But there were a lot of smart folks in our space that saw... You know, Gus Malzahn beat Saban in 2013, and they saw Hugh Freeze a couple of times end up beating Nick Saban. And what did they start to say? We got his kryptonite. We got Bama's kryptonite. It's the RPO game. It's the mobile quarterback. It's, it's the new up-tempo offense and the college rules with the three-yard downfield instead of one-yard downfield for linemen. It lets us do a lot of things, and it did. And Saban gave that famous quote. Is this what we want football to be? Is this what we want college football to be? Which was the warning, of course. That's kind of old hat now to say. But he said it, and then everyone else kind of laughed and had the audacity to say, yep, he's threatened, he's cornered, look at him, he's vulnerable. Some people even suggested the sport had passed him by and Bama had peaked. All he did was remind you he can have the best of anything. He has his choice. Some places have to run specific offenses or run their program in a specific way because it's the only path. Saban can take any path. He gets, he gets the luxury of choosing how he wants to run his program. So all he did was say, I'm going to do the same things you're doing to me, only I'll have better athletes and I'll be able to hire the best coordinators and coaches in the country and analysts and I'll be able to do you better than you can. And also, the, the side effect, the byproduct was it ended up attracting the top quarterback, wide receiver talent in the country, and all of a sudden, instead of having to defend Jake Coker, all due respect, you had to defend Tua, and you had to defend Bryce Young, and even the guys running on the twos and threes that ended up being ones like Mac Jones just lit you up. Jalen Waddle, Henry Ruggs, like those guys weren't coming to Alabama in droves like they are now. Every change that has been instituted, at least in part because of his presence, has ended up being a benefit for Alabama and a net loss for the rest of college football. Now, here's the counter that you could make and you would be accurate. 
you could look at me and you could say, you're talking about Saban here. But a lot of the problems with NIL and the portal being on fire right now and all this mess we're dealing with, that's because the NCAA drugged their feet. That's because the NCAA failed to act when they should have acted. And you're right, and I agree with that. What I'm trying to counter with is even if all that remained the same, even if the NCAA did drag their feet like they have been known to do and like they did here, but Nick Saban didn't arrive at Alabama, I'm a believer that half to three quarters of this stuff we talk about a lot would never have happened because there would not have been a hard enough push to institute it because you wouldn't have had one program seemingly running roughshod over the sport. So here's what I want to remind you before you make any further drastic steps to change the sport fundamentally forever. He is human. It's possible to beat him. It's not easy, but it's possible. But even if you can't beat him, he won't be here forever. The sport theoretically should be here long after Nick Saban's gone, unless you destroy it in the process of trying to rid college football of Nick Saban. Get Nick Saban out the door and then you look back and you see just, just a plume of smoke above college football and you, you look in the mirror and say, what have we done? Couldn't be me. I'm out. I'm, I'm innocent on this. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. Yesterday on the Late Kick Extra pod, I had what I thought was the most cleverly disguised ad toss for our Academy Sports ad read that I have ever executed. Today, it's not going to be a surprise because I have to share something with you. Uh, this is called a good old-fashioned testimonial. This is from uh, one of our friends back home in Columbus, one of the originals, Jay Bonner. He said, good evening, Josh. Uh, full disclosure, he sent this like a month ago. Irresponsible me just opened it last night. He said, I got to brag on Academy Sports real quick. Our nonprofit, Hope Connection America, helps disarm fear and inspire hope through play-rich environments for foster kids. We partner with local professional sports teams to put on sports clinics. Well, Jay continues, after hearing multiple ad reads on your show and finding myself in need of a partner for sporting equipment, I immediately thought of Academy Sports and Outdoors. Shout out alert. After reaching out, Cody Reed, R-E-I-D. For anyone who wants to give him a raise at Academy, Cody Reed, who is a regional marketing specialist in Columbus, responded quickly. He said, yes, he provided all the equipment requested. I just thought it's another great example of how Academy is meeting the needs of our communities and the needs of kids who are hurting. So I didn't get the applause track ready, but this is me clapping for Cody Reed. And this is all of us clapping for Academy Sports and Outdoors because what they made possible for those kids we're not surprised by because they make our show possible every week. They are our exclusive partner for a reason. And here's a really, really nice cherry on top. They're not just folks with good hearts. They have really, really good sporting goods, equipment and grills and tents and everything in between too. So Academy Sports and Outdoors, the eternal one-stop shop for all your, all your outdoor sporting goods needs. But also, I mean, there's a lot of stuff that you could just go over there and buy because you just need to use it in your day-to-day -day life. That's what I've taken to, and that's what I strongly encourage you to do. Academy Sports and Outdoors, we really, really appreciate that. And I can promise you, so do those kids. Deering, Georgia, tuned in tonight. Louisville, Kentucky, tuned in. And Atmore, Alabama, 
which is home to a maximum security prison. So most of the time when folks go to Atmore, it's not for a good reason. But when we shout them out, it is for a good reason. Thank you. You know what's back tonight? Bold predictions are back. I think this is version 5.0 and they just keep getting saucier and saucier. Let's dive right in here. The first of the bold predictions that you folks claim you would bet your own hard-earned money on has to do with the fighting volunteers, the Collins, the fighting Collins of Tennessee. Matthew says, how bold would it be to assume Tennessee can win the East and make it to the SEC title game this year? Glad you asked. That is an eight on the boldness scale, an eight, one to 10. There are two things you have to sell me on. This is not totally impossible, but you gotta sell me on two things. The first is, how's Tennessee going to Georgia and beating Georgia? Because I think that has to happen here. Absent Georgia dropping two games elsewhere, which I don't think is gonna happen, that would have to happen. So sell me on Tennessee beating Georgia in Athens, then we're not done. That would be monumental enough. Part two is you have to sell me on then Tennessee finishing no worse than seven and one in conference play. So they can only drop one game even if they beat Georgia because I don't think Georgia's dropping another conference game. Now that's an assumption uh, that, that I think we all would have to assume, okay? So it doesn't sound monumental. If you go beat Georgia, you think, okay, we can still drop another game. Well, you know you play Bama every year and you've also on the conference slate this year have uh, Florida, they go to LSU. Like I said, they've got Bama, they got Kentucky, they got Missouri, they go to South Carolina and they go to Vanderbilt, why not? So you gotta sell me on both those things. You could, that's why I said eight, not 10. Like I said the other day about Georgia in a follow-up year to a national championship. We've seen it with Ohio State, Bama, we've seen it with all of them. Uh, stranger things have happened. So let's put that at an eight. Uh, some things to look out for, you know, there are 15 starters returning from last year's squad. Hendon Hooker, probably the most important there. They also picked up Brew McCoy from the transfer portal the other day, big time receiver out of USC. So just keep an eye on the Vols. They're a very interesting program this year. SEC East winners, a little bold. Not the most bold thing we've ever had proclaimed on the show though. Next up, this one is probably the most popular bold prediction over the last decade. Texas in the college football playoff. Uh, this is a solid eight for me as well. 18th in points per game nationally last year. So offense was there, defense uh, nowhere to be found, especially in the big moments. They've added Quinn Ewers, They've overturned 40% plus of the roster via the transfer portal and recruiting and whatnot. So you see some of the expected offensive contributors if you're watching on YouTube. Bijan Robinson's there. He's probably going to make a run at a Heisman Trophy appearance this year. So yes, uh, offense is not what I'm concerned about at all. They got Bama in week two. Keep in mind what the prediction is here. Texas makes the playoff. They got Bama in week two. They're going to be a, a sizable underdog in their own building in that one. But what also concerns me is that stretch in consecutive weeks. They go to Texas Tech. It will not be an easy out. Don't think otherwise. At Texas Tech, West Virginia versus Oklahoma and Dallas, Iowa State at home, and then at Oklahoma State. Those are consecutive. Then they got a bye week, and they go to probably the Big 12 dark horses backyard in Kansas State. So there's, I mean, they got Baylor at the end of the year, too. There's, this is not an easy schedule. I know some people in the SEC or Big Ten may look and say, oh, I'd, I'd trade mine in a heartbeat for that. Well, first off, in your, if you're in the Big Ten West, you wouldn't. Uh, secondly, you're not. This is Texas. This is them. So I think this is an eight. And also, think about this. This is a trend in the wrong direction. I had Jesse recite to me their record. What's the trend over the last few years? 2018, 10 wins. Hashtag we're back. 2019, eight wins. Not so back. Uh, 2020, seven wins. 2021, five wins. So you're telling me we're going 10, eight, seven, five, all the way up to the playoff? I don't think that happens over the span of one year. So I'm gonna put that in an eight. Next up, uh, a statement even bolder than the previous two, at least in my mind. Notre Dame wins out in Marcus Freeman's first year. Undefeated Irish team. This is a nine bordering on a 10. This is just not gonna happen. Firstly, because of who they play in week one, they go to Ohio State. So I would call it a nine if you just said they're going to go beat Ohio State. So I guess this may be a 10 for me overall. Notre Dame has not had an undefeated season since 1988, to, to make clear how bold this prediction is. Secondly, this schedule is it's tough because most Notre Dame schedules are. 
that's one of the biggest misnomers in college football. Notre Dame's not in a conference, so Notre Dame has an easy schedule. They don't. They, they never do. That's just a total myth. They go to Ohio State in week one. They go to North Carolina later in the year. They got Brigham Young the week after that. They got Stanford the week after that. Clemson, USC also on this schedule. Boston College is not going to be an easy out the week before they go to USC. They got a game in Las Vegas. They got a game in Baltimore. Uh, this is not a slate that, with all due respect, the Irish with a new quarterback in Tyler Buckner, pending health, is going to run the table on. This is not going to happen. So that's a nine or even a 10. And also, what is the meat of the roster? In other words, if we go back to the recruiting rankings, mainly from 2018, 2019, and 2020, because that's the true senior and junior-laden meat of the roster. They were 12th in the country in 2018. They were 15th in 2019, and they were 18th in 2020. Those aren't bad classes, but those also are not classes indicative of a, a nucleus that's about to run the table here in a head coach's first year. I don't buy that. A good team, but not equipped to go undefeated. Now, the next thing's not nearly as tall a task to pull off. Nebraska goes bowling. That's what we're looking for in Lincoln these days. This is a four to me. This is not bold, not overly bold at least. Uh, no bowl game the past five seasons for Nebraska. How rare is that, you might ask? Well, the last time they went five consecutive years with no bowl appearance was the 50s, like the Eisenhower administration, I think that would have been. He's, he's on the dime. He's on currency. That's how long ago that was. So it's not been much to write home about. But I think also one of the most famous stats in college football right now, if you follow it at a hardcore level, is the whole 3-9 and nine wasn't really 3-9 and nine for Nebraska last year. On one hand, yes, you lose nine games, you lose nine games. But as it relates to predicting the upcoming year, they were 3-9 and nine last year and 0-8 and in one possession games. And the other loss was by nine points. So just out of the realm, they're almost 0-9 and in one possession games. How much better do they have to be? I was talking about this on the Late Kick Extra pod yesterday too. How much better do they have to be? It could be that Nebraska brings back a team totally equal to last year's and they win seven or eight games, at least six games, by, by the nature of nothing more than the ball bouncing their way. Like that many close losses, it's almost hard to pull that off. Like that's one of those reverse luck trends that just cannot carry over year to year. So anyway, if we look at their schedule, they do not play Ohio State in the regular season. They do not play Penn State in the regular season. They don't play Michigan State in the regular season. They got a game at Michigan late in the year. That four-game stretch to end it, Minnesota at Michigan, Wisconsin at Iowa, I would strongly advise Scott Frost to already have found six wins. Luckily, he has Northwestern, North Dakota, Georgia Southern. We got Rutgers, Indiana, Purdue, Illinois. Like There are easily six winnable games there. Casey Thompson has transferred in from Texas. That's your presumed starting quarterback here. Also, the Big Ten has a number of bowl tie-ins. So if they can get to six wins, we don't have doubts about whether they're going to make a bowl. They've also got the 12th-ranked portal class. So I think we're going to be able to find three more wins here. This is a four on the boldness scale for me. I don't think it's the craziest thing in the world. Uh, lastly, we're going to the Big Ten here, and this is something that I want you ahead of the curve on. When Preview Magazine season rolls around, you're going to hear this a lot more, but it's May right now. So I want you to, to adopt this mentality with me so that we're ahead of the Preview Magazine culture. Daniel is predicting Purdue to make the Big Ten championship game. Now you're thinking to yourself, what? Well, keep in mind, the Big Ten has that whole unequal division set up to where it, it's very possible. Like, Someone has to make it from the West every year. It's kind of the general rule or joke, running joke in the Big Ten. No team from the West has won the Big 12 or the Big Ten since 2012. And if you exclude Wisconsin from the equation, there hasn't been a team from that division that's won it, what, Jesse, since they went to the format. It's crazy. So anyway, they were 9-4 and four last year. They um, kind of sort of beat Tennessee in the bowl game. I, that's as far as I want to go there. There's a, a great big asterisk to me next to the ending of that game. Either way, good season for Jeff Brom and the Boilermakers last year. This year's schedule is a travesty 
but it's not their fault and they should not apologize. This is how uneven the Big Ten is right now. Purdue does not play Michigan. Purdue does not play Ohio State. Purdue does not play Michigan State. They do play Penn State, but they get them at home to start the year, and that's about it. They don't draw anything else with so much as a pulse from the opposite division over there. Now, yes, Lance and anyone else listening, uh, I, I know they don't have Rutgers there either, so I did not disrespect Rutgers. Point being, this is the most workable schedule for any Power 5 team, especially in the Big Ten. Also, what are we talking about here? We're talking about making the Big Ten championship game, not winning it. They just have to make it there. This is very seeable. This is a five for me on the boldness scale. Uh, Purdue, you know, you hear them and you don't think contender. It's very important to understand the context. We're talking about making it to Indianapolis. Oh, they could absolutely make it there. So that's a, that's a five and no more on the boldness scale for me. I have breaking news. It's not really breaking. Let me, don't let me false advertise, but it's breaking for us. We have a check-in from South Korea. Jeju Island in South Korea, they are tuned in tonight. Maynard, Texas, and Destin, Florida, also tuned in. Let's talk about programs for a second. Not the movie, but uh, just the anatomy of a program in general, as I put something here in the live chat. Thank you guys for watching. Got to prove I'm live sometimes. Um, we had a question today. I'm just going to read you the question. I'll, I'll tee it up that way. Ryan asked, what is more important for a program, culture or donors? henceforth to be referred to as boosters on this show. Schools with big boosters more frequently win championships, but can also be bad. And schools with less boosters but better culture are more consistent but not contenders. So this is an age-old question. What's more important, having those deep pockets or having a rock-solid culture? Well, I would say to win it all, you know, to float at the highest level, the tier one level in college football, it's essential to have both. I don't care how good your culture is. If you don't have money, you cannot win at the highest level in this sport. But money does not guarantee you anything. So the best way I can put this for you is good culture does not guarantee anything. Bad culture absolutely does guarantee something, and that something is not good. It's kind of like if you think about topsoil. I could have the most fertile, rich topsoil in the world out in your garden there in the backyard. The topsoil is not going to grow anything. I've still got to put the seed in the ground. I've still got to water it and cultivate it and harvest it. But if I got bad soil in the backyard, no amount of hard work will make it produce anything. So there's a lot of kids out there in a lot of programs with bad culture who work their tails off. Think about the mixed message this sends to an 18 or a 19 year old kid who is told their whole lives, you got to work hard for what you want. And let's say they embrace it. And they go to a program and the culture is subpar. And so they've got just crappy soil. And yet they're planting and planting and planting and they're investing and they're, they're, they're spending their time the right way. And yet they're getting nothing in return. They're losing on Saturdays. Their draft stock's not where they want it to be. What kind of mixed message must that send? Especially to a young kid. If you're 44 years old, maybe you get it. But if you're 19, I can't guarantee that you understand what's going on there. And that's, a, that's going on a lot. That's why you watch sometimes and you can go to practice and you can see hard hits and ultra physical nature of, of practice. And you can see guys lifting in the summer months. Some people would refer to that as a word that starts with an O, but we don't. And you think, how could this team lose? Like, look, look how serious they take this. The soil isn't what it needs to be. I don't know what else to tell you. Now, there is a misconception out there, two of them actually, that I wanted to hit on right quick. The first misconception is that money solves things in college football. Money alone doesn't solve anything. Texas is the prime example of this. Texas has limitless financial resources, and they've been horrifically bad relative to what they should be over the last number of years. It certainly hasn't been a money issue. It hasn't been a donor issue, well, at least in terms of financial resource, but it has been a donor issue in another sense. And this is well documented with Texas. This is not a bash on Texas kind of show or segment or anything like that. But money sometimes fools people into thinking, even if things start to go sideways, don't worry, because we got a lot of money and we can just throw it at the problem. I asked Jesse, I'll ask you, can you find me anything in football or society that merely throwing money at with no design or purpose behind it or plan behind it solves? No. No, 
we're not exactly doing a segment on government right now, but uh, it's very, very correlated to what we see a lot of times. You throw money at something, you just probably waste a lot of money. You gotta channel the money, you gotta channel the resources. And in football, it has to be tied in culturally to a very solid foundation, or else you're just lighting your money on fire. But then the follow-up to that is misnomer number two. The other misnomer in college football is that booster equals bad. There's always a pejorative connotation around booster. Uh, no, boosters aren't bad at all. Some of the greatest people that make some of the greatest things you experience on your campus or in your game day environment and setting in your stadium and what's available to players is because of the deep and bountiful but also philanthropic pockets of those boosters. You need them. You have to have them. A booster that has a warped view of what their role is in a program, now that is a bad thing. And sometimes you have to disassociate. There's very famous stories out there about what Nick Saban did when he got to Alabama. There were some folks that, have, that had long since become used to running things up there and sort of walking around with a certain gravitas and a certain authority because of the check they wrote to the university there every year. And Nick Saban looked and said, I could take your job or leave it. I, I, I do want to come there, but it's going to be me or these folks. It's not going to be both of us. I'm not about to try and compete with dudes who own a rubber cement plant in Tuscumbia. No, I'm running the program. And if they want to get on board with my way of doing things, great, we'll win multiple championships. But if they don't, then it's either me or them. Guess who got disassociated from the program? It wasn't Nick Saban. He's still there today. Uh, so I think it turned out okay. You've got to have someone running your program that understands the difference. And it's a fine balance. Uh, even Nick Saban is not immune to this. Nick Saban has to sit there and grit his teeth sometimes and, and spend a day on a golf course in the middle of July with folks that he may not in an ideal world be hanging out with. Kirby Smart's gotta do it, Dabo's gotta do it. I'm just saying those guys also understand where the line is drawn. And some coaches, especially young ones out there, I speak like I have experience. I've heard the stories. That's my experience. I have experience hearing stories of young coaches that just, they had no grasp on where that line was. Like, who, who do I allow to have access? How much access? We couldn't have had this building on campus without this person. They've been around long before I was born, if I'm a young coach. How can I tell them no? Well, here's how. You run the program. They hired you to be the head coach not my boy over here running the rubber cement plant. So it's tough. I didn't say it was easy, uh, but they're not paying you seven and a half million dollars a year to make easy decisions. We can do that. They're paying you to make the hard decisions. So booster versus culture. Uh, you got to have both. And if you just have one, like you could have, for example, great culture, limited financial resource. You could still do some good things you're not flying at the highest level. Your plane is not reaching cruising altitude where it needs to unless you got the financial resources to make it happen too. We mentioned Clemson a second ago, so why not? Let's just dive back into the Mood Tracker, also one of our more popular segments. Colin, here's a good endpoint for you. Good news, the Mood Tracker is back. It's time to talk about the Clemson Tigers tonight. Kind of put this off a little bit back before spring ball because I wanted to feel out spring with Clemson. So the mood tracker is just a feel of the fan base. If you live in Bozeman, Montana, you're not usually in South Carolina. You're not around the Clemson program. You don't follow the ACC. I wanna let you know not what the preview magazines or the newspapers, if, if any of you are still reading those, are saying. I wanna let you know what the fan base is thinking. This helps you be more informed on the game. And this is a delicate situation. I don't know that there's another situation quite like this out in the the contender's sphere of Power 5 college football, where you've got a fan base that feels one way or they exude one attitude publicly, but amongst themselves privately, they have a little more trepidation. So boy, we had a time coming up with the mood for Clemson today, but we got one. We are labeling Clemson's mood tracker as Muldoon mood, which does not make sense to you, nor should it. In the movie Jurassic Park, there was this guy. He wore safari gear, head to toe. He was in charge with controlling the velociraptors. Remember that guy? He had like a thick South African accent. 
and he wore socks that came up just above his calf but below his knee. Like he was head to toe, almost in a Halloween costume. He was a caricature of what you would expect a guy who controls velociraptors to look like. Well, he did have confidence that he had control over the velociraptors while they were in that cage and, you know, electricity was keeping them inside. But once the power to the park went down and those raptors got free, things were radically different. And so there comes a time. I don't want to spoil a 1993 film for anyone, so close your ears if you hadn't seen it, but there comes a time where those raptors were out there in the jungle and Muldoon and Ellie, they got to go through the jungle. And so he is exuding confidence externally. And he tells her, we can't. We're being hunted. And he has his gun in his hand and he's trying to make her think he's got control. He is like minutes away from being devoured whole. Good news is Ellie makes it uh, to, the, to the disastrous sequel. She makes it. So the point is he knew he could be in trouble all along, but he wasn't exuding it. At Clemson right now, they know they still got a rock solid defense. They know they still got more talent than anyone else in that conference. They know that tiger paw is still the most feared logo in that conference. Uh, they know they are fourth best in terms of national championship odds this year. They haven't, they haven't disappeared off into the abyss. It's nothing like that. And they're confident that they'll return to normal this year, as normal has become defined at Clemson. But, and, that, and let me be clear, that's as far as they're going to let you hear them go. As long as there's a Gamecock fan or a Miami Hurricane fan in the room, that's all they have interest in sharing with you. But then, when you guys, however a South Carolina Miami fan came to hang out, when you guys go out there in the courtyard and they're just amongst themselves, the tone lowers a little bit and they acknowledge, I don't know anything about these coordinators we just elevated from within. I don't know if DJ is going to be back on track just because he lost some weight. Does that make him more accurate? I don't know that our receiver core is any more explosive than it was last year. I don't know if we've rectified the things we need to rectify to return ourselves to just totally dominating this conference with a blowtorch. I don't know that. I'm not going to let them know I don't know that. You know, we're not letting them know we're worried about it. And that is the state of Clemson right now, the fan base. They're ultra confident. They got a lot of pride in that team, as they should have. But they are not without concern amongst themselves. Now, the offense, when they look at it amongst themselves, again, this is, they're still out in the courtyard, we're still in here. You look at the offense, and you look at, for the first time last year, there being a true sense of vulnerability with this team, the likes of which you hadn't felt in the last several years. I'm not saying they win a title every year, but there was a different level of vulnerability that this program showed. You've, of course, got to replace both the coordinators and, and let's not forget this, college football is radically shifting under Dabo Swinney. He's got his philosophy on how he wants to run his program. I'm not going to knock a guy who's found a way to build a program and win two titles. I'm just saying he is not embracing some of the things that other programs are embracing. And what we really cannot know yet, because it's just too early in the sample, is how it plays out for him. You know, if he doesn't refuse, but is very reluctant to use the portal and the competition elsewhere in the ACC is diving into that thing left and right. Does it put Clemson at a disadvantage? I think it will, but I could be wrong. Uh, do they recruit and develop well enough where they don't need it? I, I think you're handcuffing yourself if you voluntarily enter into the equation that way. But also with NIL, like how, how are they going to handle the evolving nature of college football, long-term, not just this year. But it's, a, it's kind of an unprecedented situation if you think about it. Because Dabo Swinney's in a situation right now I don't think anyone else has been in. Where have you found a guy who built a program? He didn't inherit it. He built the program as we know it now, uh, virtually from the ground up. He also has won two national championships and he did it smack dab in the middle of the greatest dynasty the sport has ever seen against that team. He beat Bama both times. And yet, I think it's reasonable that there are people claiming he's got something to prove this year. When have we ever said that? I cannot off the top of my head ever remember saying that. But I'm telling you, if you feel that way, I feel that way too. It's not that he needs to validate himself. Dabo Swinney validated himself a long time ago. 
Dabo Swinney is a Hall of Famer if he never coaches another down. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is we're going to see something play out this year and next year kind of too, but especially this year with Dabo Swinney's philosophy really being put under the microscope. He could have had his choice of many coordinators nationally. He was quoted as saying, I made the decision in about 10 seconds. I didn't feel like I needed to go outside. I had the folks right in here. Someone like me looks at that and I say, that's a dereliction of your service to your program. Don't you at least owe it to those folks to look elsewhere? He's running the program. I'm not. He's got the championship rings. I don't. I'm just saying, that's why if I sit here and I tell you I think he's got something to prove, it's his philosophy that's going to be under the microscope to me this year. Uh, With the whole portal thing, it's something that's under the microscope. Again, it's, it's, it's his approach. It's his philosophy. So the reason I keep adding those caveats is because I hear too many people just demonizing his approach. Well, the reason I don't do that is because I'm not short-sighted enough to have forgotten the times in the past where people criticized his approach and it ended up with white and orange confetti raining down all over the place. And the only problem is those folks who criticized it they don't come back to the table to talk about how wrong they were. They get to bash you on the front end and then don't have to own up to it on the back end. Well, for better or for worse, we do an inventory of our predictions on this show. So I don't want to be the dude sitting here telling you Dabo Swinney is about to crash and burn. And then all of a sudden, there they are in Charlotte celebrating an ACC title and a playoff berth again. But I think, yeah, there is something to prove there. Honestly, I don't think he would have it any other way. He probably secretly relishes that. All right, one more question that one of you had that I think was a little out of left field, but that's what God invented May for. So we go back to the late kick mailbag. Colin, here's your in right here. Rev Tither hit us up with a very interesting question. He hails from Hull, Georgia. He said, uh, metal bleachers or individual NFL style seats, which do you prefer? You may think that this is a question that doesn't have a place on the show, but there's such an underlying theme to this question that I can almost guarantee every one of you have a feel on. You may not have a feel on metal versus chairback. In fact, most of you would prefer the chairback just because it's comfortable. But there is an underlying age-old debate in college athletics, especially major college football, that this question reminded me of. For those of you who are fans at Texas or at Ohio State or Michigan or Alabama or Georgia, the bigger programs, Penn State, like the massive stadiums, there is a debate that's always had internally. It's never really national in, in nature, but it's always an internal debate. It's the younger, more raucous crowd that looks at the older sweater vest crowd, the blue hairs as they would call them in certain places, and they say, if we could just get them out of the stadium and replace them with more of us, we'd have the best game day atmosphere in the country because we make more noise. We're on our feet. They're the ones telling us to sit down when it's third and short. Well, that's one way to look at it. You know what they would tell you? They would tell you, my outfit's worth more than you are. And secondly, this place doesn't exist without me. I've written a check that makes what you're enjoying here possible. And it kind of goes back to the question we were talking about a little while ago, culture and booster and how important is a major donor class to a university? Well, it's a lifeline, it's imperative. And when we go back to this question, and we, and we talk about the, the old school metal bleacher look in a stadium versus the newer school chairback look. We are drifting very radically away from stadiums being full metal bleachers. In fact, I don't know many of them at all on, on home campuses that are all metal bleachers. Now, it used to be they're all metal, but you can pay a little bit extra with your season tickets per year and they install the chairback for you. Even that is not a good enough amenity moving forward based on what they're charging you for those season tickets. We're still working on a segment about this, by the way, so I've not forgotten about what I asked you guys to submit. But, but, as much as I say that, and as much as the in-stadium, in-person experience is having to be, uh, how would I say this? Is it, what is the word, like luxury-fied? It's got to be more luxurious. That's what it has to be. So added luxury is something that's a necessity for the in-stadium game day experience. Now, but as that's happening, there is a perfect world still out there to me. Because my personal preference is I want metal chairbacks, right? I want metal bleachers all day. 
I don't want the chair backs at all. Not because I don't really care about your posture, not because I'm not cognizant of how tough it can be to have scoliosis or curvature of the spine, but because I know if I have metal bleachers and only metal bleachers, there's a certain kind of person that's willing to suck it up and stick it out in that kind of environment. And there's a kind of person that stays home and says, nah, I'll just go next week. The Cotton Bowl in Dallas taught me a valuable lesson this past year when I was there for the Red River Shootout, not to be referred to as any other name. This place is all metal bleacher. It's as old school as old school gets. It's obviously neutral site for OU in Texas, 50-50 split right there at the 50-yard line. And my biggest takeaway in what was a classic game when I came back, those of you who watched the show the following Sunday remember, I told you, guys, I have seen the light. There's not a luxury suite to be found in this place. There's not a chair back to be found. And as a result, everyone there is a diehard, rabid, full-throated, all-in, foaming-at-the-mouth fan who is making as much noise as they possibly can because the kind of person willing to sit on a metal bleacher in 90-plus degree heat for four quarters is the kind of person who can undo the top button and really let loose. And they did in mass to the tune of over 90,000 plus at the Cotton Bowl. That's how it is every year. I just was fortunate enough to finally experience it. But that's not Austin. That's not Norman. They are probably on those campuses upgrading year over year the game day experience. Don't mess with the Cotton Bowl. One of the big debates that happens out in Big 12 country is whether they should move the Red River Shootout from the Cotton Bowl over to Arlington, Jerry World which would be a sin, a crime against college football to me. The Cotton Bowl, the, the Cotton Bowl is as good as it gets for a regular season, neutral site environment. And those metal seats are a big reason why. Because the kind of person that's willing to sit on that metal bleacher in that blazing sun for four quarters and not care and be drenched in sweat and just pour that emotion out anyway, that's a different kind of clientele than what you know good and well you're looking to attract if you move that thing across town into Jerry World. You already got the Big 12 championship game over there. You already got college football playoff games coming through there. You got national championships coming through there. Leave the Red River shootout alone, please. You've got your hands all over everything else in the sport messing it up. Please just leave the Cotton Bowl and the Red River shootout alone. That is my passion plea. And I know I've got a, I got a lot of backup on that from actual fans who actually go to games out in Big 12 country. I, um, I've got to ask you guys to do one thing. It's really simple. Uh, subscribe. That's all I need. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. A lot of you are watching but not subscribing, even though it doesn't change anything. And it's free. So subscribe to the YouTube channel and the podcast. Just subscribe. That's it. it you still download it like normal. You just subscribe. Um, that's all. There's no other catch. It doesn't cost anything. It doesn't subscribe you to anything uh, like mailbag-wise. It just it helps us. You still get the same thing. It helps us. We appreciate you guys. A lot of stuff happening around here. Really, really excited. So we appreciate you guys for producer Jesse, for director Colin. I'm Josh Bate. Have yourselves a great start to your weekend. We'll see you back here Sunday night. Until then, God bless.